Hello there listener, hope you're an Android developer. Welcome to The Context. Hey Arthur. Hey everyone. Right, so this time we would like to try out something new. So instead of a traditional episode where Arthur, Atem and I chat about Android related and unrelated things, we have a panel discussion for you which we have recorded at DroidCon Berlin 2018. The name of this discussion is RX Must Die. As the name already suggests, is a panel discussion all about RX Java, steep learning curves, alternatives like live data and proteins, and so on. Um, as I already said, it has been recorded during DroidCon Berlin 2018. Actually, it was on the 25th of June during the Interactive Day, which is a special day organized by the local Berlin Android community. And it's a mix of workshops, sessions, given by whoever in the audience would like to present something, and panel discussions. So, special thanks to the local community, especially Danny Preisler, Miriam Bush, and Fritka Mifke, and last but not least to the DroidCon Berlin itself for supporting us. And by the way, uh, the DroidCon Berlin celebrated the 10-year anniversary. In total, we have recorded two more panel discussions. So, we have Alex Mastai, which we're going to publish in this episode. And the other two are Women in Tech and Rise of the Machines, which will be published soon. As you all know, Alex Java holds a special place in Artem, Ardors, and my heart. Uh, we have already published multiple discussions and episodes about Alex Java. Therefore, before we jump into the panel discussions, the question for you, Arthur, must Rx die? Before we are going to discuss the discussion, <laughs> Uh, we have on our hands. Uh, I must say that the title is a bit misleading because it wasn't a discussion about uh, how we should remove reactive approaches from our code bases, but mostly about when should we use this approach, uh, in which projects we should use it, and in which particular parts of the project we should consider using it. So basically, it it's a bit misleading and kind of reminds me of uh, typical hacker news titles like active programming consider harmful. And uh, there is an interesting question that uh, the panelists are discussing. It is uh, mostly related to this uh, dualism of using reactive and non-reactive code uh, in your projects because some parts of it are have uh, reactive interfaces as results and inputs and some of them are just typical uh, imperative code and when should you use this uh, or that. It kind of reminds me of a similar situation uh, regarding async and sync code because when you are trying to use uh, an async code uh, you are eventually tying it up to a sync code. For example, like for Android developers, uh, it is a main thread because we should render everything on this particular thread and the UI framework doesn't allow multi-threading. So we are kind of eventually, yeah, even we perform some network requests uh, or anything else in background, we eventually uh, must supply it to user on a single thread. So we are kind of actually tying it up and it uh, creates kind of a dichotomy in the code base eventually because some parts are sync and some parts are sync and you're trying to live with it together and uh, eventually you might 
find yourself in the situation where we are trying just to make everything a sync. Because it's kind of easier to think about problem from a single point instead of multiple ones, uh, which can be associated with using a repository which allows both Git and SVN. And some people on your team might use a subversion and some might use Git. And eventually you're going to come to an issue where some of your teammates have one term for doing a specific task and other person might have an entirely different uh, point of view on this issue. The same can be said about like living with, in a country with multiple governments. You don't actually know who to listen. So yeah, I'm basically, I see it like that. And uh, in Juno, we actually have a more or less fully reactive code base because of that. We are just trying to avoid any like specific imperative code and just use reactive everywhere because it really simplifies uh, usage overall. But uh, uh, I guess it uh, kind of, it is kind of an extreme approach, but uh, I think uh, some of you might agree that this issue actually exists, like with having a sync and sync code, reactive and non-reactive code, it eventually leads to these or other issues. About uh, should we use reactive approaches or not, uh, it is entirely up to you, actually, which panelists actually mention. And you are free to use Kotlin coroutines or even async tasks uh, if you know what I am doing or Arrow, which covers uh, a bit of this and that. Uh, and I think the issue with the reactive approach uh, can be applied to also like third-party approaches. And it can be related just to a basic education we receive this way or another when we are starting to work careers as developers. Fortunately or not, uh, I think most of you uh, received a basic education uh, using imperative languages and imperative approaches like maybe Java, C, C++. Uh, some of you might have used something from functional programming. For example, in the university I've studied, we actually studied Haskell, like for half a year maybe. It was kind of, it was very interesting, but I finished all the labs in, in a single sitting, so it was kind of short for me. But anyway, the idea is that uh, basically the majority of developers receive indication using imperative languages, imperative approaches, and they just get used to it. And when uh, a company of sorts uh, creates a framework or a library as a basis for a widespread developer community, like for, like for example Android, of course, it will design it around approaches more as a majority of developers are used to. In, in our case, uh, it is basically imperative programming, objective-oriented programming. And when you are trying to introduce something like functional or reactive, uh, of course, it requires uh, switching a mindset. It requires you to maybe adapt this uh, platform interfaces you are actually using to the approach you are trying to use. And uh, it can be problematic both from the technological standpoint, because you are, of course, you are not able to cover everything, and from the psychological standpoint, because uh, you are trying to learn something new, uh, you are trying to adapt uh, this uh, an entirely different approach. And I think in modern developer community, we are actually tied to authorities this way or another. The Kotlin 
story comes to mind where actually everyone was able to use Kotlin for a long time and when only when Google announced the official support, the developer community actually picked it up and uh, much more people started to use it. At the same time, we just listen to authorities we have uh, and make decisions based on that. At least uh, to, the, to the previous uh, thing I was mentioning that uh, basically the platform is imperative and we're trying to adapt it to another thing and this another thing is uh, not actually approved in any way by a higher authority so we are just kind of uh, in flux about that. Uh, we want to use it but uh, we're kind of not so much confident about it and it of course leads to uh, discussions like exactly like that uh, should we use it or shouldn't we use it and I think this topic will arise many, many times and we'll discuss it even more later. But yeah, that's just life and uh, I think you should use everything you want, uh, but uh, just see the consequences and pick what uh, is uh, easier for you, uh, which is uh, more familiar for you. And at the same time, uh, I want to mention the educational point from like a project standpoint. Uh, because uh, when you you come to a project which heavily uses reactive approaches like Java and whatnot, of course you are forced to learn a new thing. But at the same time, if there wasn't Rx Java or anything like that, you would be forced to know a lot more things about coroutines, for example, or just basic threading, like uh, a single task life cycles and whatnot and how to deal with it. So basically you're just shifting one knowledge to another knowledge this way or another. And at the same time, uh, RxJava, at least in our case, provided a, a more structured approach to this kind of issues, like it was related to multi-training and uh, just chaining actions uh, by performing and making decisions based on that uh, in the end business logic. So I think... Uh, Rx must not die. <laughs> it will live uh, and uh, of course other solutions will rise up eventually. Just pick whatever you want and just stick with it. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into the panel discussion. The panelists are Johannes Orgis from Microsoft To Do, Eva Mojilla from Azana Rebel, Hassan Hoskel from Mercedes-Benz, Ash Davis from Immobilien Scout 24, and the panel host is Kevin McDonough from Novoda. Last but not least, a little disclaimer. The following content and opinions are, of course, not necessarily our opinions. Nevertheless, we hope you enjoy. So, everybody, thank you very much for attending this panel called RX Must Die. And I'm Kevin, I'm CEO at Novoda. And I am here to welcome our lovely panel into conversation. So please, could everyone introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Ivan. I'm doing Android for a while, write, speak, and here to have a discussion about the stuff that I wrote a couple of books about, so... Mm. You wrote books yeah. on Rx? Unfortunately, yes. Great. For okay. the audience, I mean, unfortunately okay. for them. Okay, well, that's a good start. Okay, and yourself? I'm Hannes. Android developer since um, nine to ten years. I was doing BlackBerry before, so I went from mobile to mobile, which was quite okay. And yep, working for Microsoft, and we started to use Rx two years ago. Hi, I'm Hassan. 
I'm doing Android like most of us since several years, and also, yeah, what more? Uh, we will see later on the more. Uh, I'm Ash. Um, I've been doing Android for four to five years. I forget now. Um, been using RX for a number of years, and I did the RX migration from version one to version two in our company, and also wrote a f couple of libraries for RX, which I now regret. Spoiler alert. And just to start us off, okay, like I'd like to hear everyone's like just like a, a quick summary of um, like what is RX. So in, in, in relation to like uh, other modes of programming, so like in, in, like in, in terms of like imperative and functional, could you maybe just like give everyone a, a brief idea, everyone your own, in your own words, what RX is? So yes, uh, RX probably, you know that uh, was born in Microsoft um, a few years ago, then in 2013, Netflix came out with uh, the Java version of the reactive extension for .NET, okay? Um, the whole thing was born on the back end, but we basically had a Zinc task, so we kind of needed something for threading, and Rx was cool, uh, UI, mobile, so the whole idea was actually very successful in a Java slash Android um, old world. So okay, okay, yeah. For for me, it's actually um, a little bit different. Everybody's talking about yes, we can replace Azure Task. I think that's the least useful feature of Rx. Actually, for me, it's more the paradigm of thinking about uh, thinking about streams of events and objects, which is very very powerful. That you can transform them, that you can combine them, that you can subscribe to them, and then they start producing these events. This for me is actually more useful. The threading model or the concurrency model is very, very useful, but I personally would never use it just for that. Okay, and maybe Hassan, you could tell us like a little bit about, what, what, um, describe like streams, tell us about streams. Well, everything is a stream, right? Um, but I think most of the people had hard times to learn it. I think my, me personally, I still struggle with it. Most of the time it's just copy-paste from somewhere else. Like everyone does more or less like from Stack Overflow and all that stuff. So I hope we will find some better opportunities at that point. Um, so for me, I kind of felt that reactive programming was a, a problem solver for Android because everything was asynchronous. Everything is asynchronous. Um, and Rx seems to be, seemed to be like the ideal tool set if you're a beginner. Um, it's like it seemed to solve all the problems. But then you get so involved in the framework and they find like there are, it's a massive, massive collection of, of possibilities, and that some of them times you get excited, like you find some new feature or some new way of doing something, and then you can find yourself a month later realizing what you've done. Well, can you maybe tell us a little bit about why you would choose to use Rx? Um, as a library or as a reactive programming? As, as a library. I guess alternatively, when compared to other options that are available, like uh, various other observables or the Java 8 streams, um, it just seemed to provide a lot of functionality on top of what was already available that you could then uh, apply business logic to. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, for expand, please, please. Um, <laughs> so when it, when it came out, um, the idea was, okay, let's face it, we are dealing with um, mobile phones, Basically, it's a platform based, based totally on user interaction, so that asynchronous by default, by design, 
Um, I'm not in charge of the data. The user is clicking the button or the, I don't know, the, the database is sending me stuff, the repository is sending me stuff. So the, the whole idea was actually um, a mindset switch from I'm doing this thing on the back end or the web. I'm doing this 10 things uh, one after another. Uh, and we went to the opposite. So I just create a set of behaviors and the user actually is going to trigger the behavior. So, you know, that's how the, the streams, everything is a stream because if you keep clicking on a button, that's a, a click event stream. So um, we solved the issue of um, subscribing for changes or actually reacting to, to changes and we solved the threading problem. So we had um, also a, a misuse of the whole stream stuff because um, we started using Rx for things that were supposed to be in Java, like you know collection manipulations, and that what you know probably Ash is referring. You you find crazy stuff because people find. Oh yeah, observable.from and I throw an array in that and then I can filter stuff, I can map stuff. So we also leveraged not only the, the threading part, but the, the ability to manipulate streams. That it's we, because there's a lot going we, on. We, we, we made up it's streams. A, there's a lot going on at the same time, yes. basically. There's a lot going on at the same time. And traditionally it's like, well, this happens and then this happens and then this happens. But actually, with um, reactive programming, of course, then you could be like, when this happens, uh, you, you make sure that this is, this is happening. And this is still happening. When this happens, it's still happening. Okay, so I guess everyone should use reactive and everyone should use Rx. Is that, is that right? We're done. <laughs> <laughs> so is, is that the case? We, um, no, of course not. <laughs> Uh, he already gave a good example. If you're not manipulating a stream of data, it, there's no use in using Rx, except maybe can some exceptions. Can you pull out a few of those exceptions? Like, can you think of any? Yes, actually for, for us, uh, just to give an example, um, you say the click stream thing, that's something we completely decoupled. We don't use Rx in our app layer at all. We only use it for our uh, application logic, which means for us mostly streams coming from database. So going from a pull model which we usually had before. You get notified that there's change, you pull the changes from database, we get the database stuff pushed, which is a stream of data, which repeats itself, you just have to start it. And then also that solves the problem of uh, having concurrent modifications. It means the user clicks something, you app at the same time, you get things over network, and you get everything through the same channel. That's a very elegant solution. But if you don't need that, if you don't have streams of data, there's no use in using Rx. For concurrency there, well, there's async task. Async task, everybody says it's shitty. It's actually not that bad if you know what you're doing. Then, of course, coroutines, you could use threads if you know how to manage them correctly. If you hate yourself enough, you can if you, use threads. If you hate yourself enough, yes. <laughs> I personally can say the only thing that was good at the Rx point was that the people started to do functional programming. So making smaller methods, so making it better testable, to have predictable uh, results. That was the only good thing at the point, because even before a lot of people saying now async task was the preferred thing from a lot of engineers. To be honest, if somebody nowadays sends me send an, uh, an applicant was saying I'm doing async task, I reject it immediately. Because I think that's the wrong thing you can do as an engineer. 
even at that point they had the handler, which wasn't the perfect one, but it worked quite well, for example, and also the threading. But, but like I said, the main thing is really having smaller methods, predictable results to make it better testable, and um, all that stuff that I think was the best thing at Rx. And a lot of people I met, they misused the Rx pattern for non-stream stuff, or for example, doing it in a non-async way. We had an asynchronous uh, authentication behavior, and somebody puts their Rx with uh, uh, asynchronous part inside, which at that point doesn't make sense because this was already in a stream, which shouldn't be uh, decoupled at that point. So is, is like, is the, it's called Rx must die, uh, Ash. Is that, is that because um, occasionally people are overzealous? Uh, is, is there, do some people deploy Rx in, in a way that is just, uh, is irrational? Or I think what you mentioned earlier when we uh, were talking, when you said, like, okay, so yes, we should use Rx for everything. And I think that's a mindset that everybody has sort of adopted at some point in their career or their um, programming-like experience. Um, and you could be forgiven for thinking so. You could be forgiven that this is a wonderful tool set that I can apply to everything. But then you forget that it doesn't need to apply to everything. And then you're trying to adapt paradigms or adapt patterns that don't really fit with it or just don't, shouldn't. Um, so then we find ourselves making everything Rx and we sort of put ourselves into this little hole that we can't really get out of anymore. Um, so, you know, we've got this ridiculous amount of streams and uh, things that are very much not testable anymore um, because they're not, uh, not um, localized in a single area. Is there anyone on this panel who thinks Rx must die? Mm. Depends. <laughs> so we are, we are engineers, okay? So the, the idea of using Rx, um, so you have something fancy at some point, you start using it, everything is great, and then, then the law, the hammer, okay? Is it then, just because Rx is sexy? Well, the, no, actually, the thing is, after a while, it's like Ash is saying, you know, you have a hammer and everything is a nail. Yeah. And if you don't find a nail, actually, you, you only look for problems that can be solved with a hammer. And that's why everything became a stream, even stuff that actually is not a stream, like, you know, a retrofit call to a backend, and then Jake Wharton came up with, oh, actually, this is not actually an observable, so let's create a single, and then you defeat the whole purpose of having an observable sequence, because you have this thing that is only leveraging the threading stuff. So you need something that needs to fit in your rx and uh, ecosystem but it's not uh it's not a stream but you want to use the map you want to use the other other stuff so you will want to use the the methods and the functions but not the the, the philosophy behind the reactive stream okay um, well let's talk let's talk about your experiences you've all got experience of implementing uh, probably differently in different uh, architectures, like enough, like you've got enough experience to talk about different architectures. Could you, per perhaps, Hassan, you could you could tell us about like how you would architect um, to use um, Rx appropriately in, in in your application, and then uh, anyone else, please like add on. Well, the point is, I wouldn't do use Rx nowadays. There are better solutions at that point. Even at the back times, I was really reluctant to use Rx because it brings a lot of stuff into your code base which you probably don't need. So it's not a small library extension for you, it's just a framework. So, so to clarify, you, would, you, would, you wouldn't use Rx, but not at would, all. would you build a reactive app? Not even that. 
Okay, great. Good. So, well, that's nice. Also, I, mean, I, I wouldn't say we should create um, imperative apps. So we have to find a solution. And in the end, it's not what my opinion counts. It's what the team opinion counts. You have a team have to align to one solution and have to stick to it. And not for till the end of the life. You have to adapt always to your needs as a team. So I think that's the most important one. Not what my opinion is. Of course, I have an opinion. I raise my opinion, not silently. But as a team, we have to decide whatever we do. I think there's there's one big downside of Rx. So if you try to decide to use Rx, it makes sense to go full in. You don't should use Rx just because you can manipulate streams. You can do that with collections already. Um, you don't just use it for concurrency. It's nice for that, but there are specialized tools which are simpler to learn. If you use Rx, you should go all in in the areas where it makes sense. For me, that's actually business logic. Mostly, if you're manipulating streams, if you want to have a push model instead of a pull model, um, UI can discuss about that. I'm not a big fan of that. The problem when doing that, it's, it's really, really painful to move away from Rx if you do that. Um, you spoke about the transition. For you, it was very easy. For us, it was really, really, really painful. I uh, had a lot of fun doing that because also behaviors changed, like what happens when you unsubscribe. Suddenly, you have to have either a safe subscriber or non-safe subscriber. Non-safe subscriber doesn't dispose the downstream. Safe subscriber disposes the downstream, which you have to know if you want to do UI. Otherwise, you leak uh, your context. So um, if you use Rx and decide to move away from that later, you will have really, really painful time doing that. That is something you have to keep in mind when you start doing it. Actually, if I could clarify, it wasn't that easy. It was just quick. <laughs> <laughs> like bullet behind the head. You know? oh, well, it was a very interesting Christmas for me. Well, well, nice. well, on that, well, then if you're all in with Rx, like Rx, is it easy for a beginner to pick up Rx? It's, it's complex to join, uh, a, a, to join a team that already are like experienced well, in it. Nowadays, um, I don't think you can find an Android developer that doesn't know about Rx because the library came. Well, that's a choice, and you are statistically relevant, my friend. <laughs> the, I, 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 I don't want to be the one breaking this to you, but yeah, you're just the only one, probably. Jokes aside, Rx came out in 2013. So if you think about which libraries were there? Probably it's just retrofit. You know, it's a very old library in the Android community. So I'm quite confident that people know about Rx Java. Probably uh, there is a percentage that know, uh, knows how to use Rx Java. That's the, the downside of it because you go through a phase where, wow, that's the new thing, and you have cargo, cargo cult stuff or FOMO, whatever, you just need to throw the library in, and then you see the, the weirdest stuff that migrating away from that, it's, it's crazy. But actually, um, we were migrating the app away from Rx in my former company because the app doesn't need it. I have a pet project that went through the, the same um, transition. There was Java and there was Rx Java. Then I migrated to Kotlin and then the whole thing didn't make sense anymore because there were just network calls. I was just pulling from a database. If the app is not reactive, you don't need reactive Java. And how do you know? Well, it depends on how your app, I mean, use cases. For instance, you open the app and you fetch something from a backend. But there is no reactive there. It's just you're pulling stuff from a backend. 
uh, if you actually put some more reactive database in there, well, that makes sense. You know, the UI actually has to react. You don't want the user to pull to refresh. So you, you need the fancy stuff happening in, in the background. You can actually do the same thing with a bit of work and manual stuff. Yes, because we are engineers. We can do everything. It's just a matter of pain and time. Um, but it depends on the tool that you want to use. I think um, we sort of forget sometimes that Rx is just one tool available to us, and it doesn't have to be used everywhere. Um, we have a lot of options available to us, and we can make sure that we use things effectively. Um, but the thing we've all, well, a lot of us have fallen victim to is to then, because it's been easier, and as I mentioned, it's because it's been easy to sort of maybe apply a debouncer to a user input stream uh, using these operators, they think, oh, I'll just make that Rx as well. Um, and then, before you know it, Rx is leaking into all different parts of your app. I think at one point we had uh, a rule that we'd only have Rx in our use cases where we'd have business logic, so then everything else would be implemented through uh, listeners and um, the, the sort. And then we start to find that Rx is just leaking into different other parts and it was starting to get closer and closer to the UI. And it was interesting, let's say. And I think I found... Um, actually, when I joined my current project, I hadn't seen such interesting uses of operators uh, until <laughs> that point. And um, it was uh, an experience, let's say. Okay, so you say closer and closer to the UI, and so I think it, everyone has agreed on like the use of it for closer to business logic. Is that right? Which is kind of fun, things, <laughs> things I saw first where, yes, you should use it to do data binding and, and go directly to, to UI where I actually disagree, because... Depends of the use case. Yeah. That's the thing. It's a tool. It's like a gun. You can rob a, a, bank, a bank and you can protect a, a kit. It's, so a, it's a tool. In your experience, you've deployed it both ways. Well, uh, if you need some sort of, for instance, the debouncing on the, on the button, well, that's useful. Okay, RX, RX bindings and Jake Wharton, all the things, we are grateful. Uh, if you need... Like a reactive database, like it's it's useful if you need the reactive uh, shared preferences. That's useful. But then there are the the anti patterns. Like you know, we have uh, functions, and I'm putting my business logic in Rx stream, and then well, good luck testing it. So you are basically misusing the whole thing because that business logic should be in a function, in a separate function that, that does. Nothing with Rx, because probably you are just playing around with the list, okay? Now you can do it in Kotlin. So you put the business logic in a function that you can test. And eventually, probably, you can map on that function in the observable. Probably not, not even, because Rx is... Uh, the, the basic idea is it's a stream of either events or information. So it's, it's not the way you are supposed to manipulate the stuff. We needed it because we had Java. That's it. The whole thing was ugly and there was no alternative. But now, with Kotlin, why would yeah. you force a tool just because, well, you are used to use it, okay? Yeah. No. Evolve. I wanted or something die. to the beginning of the question. How steep is the learning curve for that? <laughs> because you say everybody has heard of it. I think it's dangerous. <laughs> because we recently had an example 
we were, um, so we're using it since two years, so we're halfway competent using it now. And um, a colleague was asking, why is this method executing before I subscribe? And he was using single just, and then a method call. Of course, you can do from callable if you want to have it asynchronous. So Rx has a lot of side effects you have to keep in mind. And if you don't use it daily, then it's very, very easy to make a mistake, especially when you expect things to be asynchronous. I know in the beginning we had a lot of time figuring out how uh, observe on works. If you don't really look into documentation and get what it's doing, that it's going upwards basically in the stream, then you have a really hard time figuring out why you're not on your UI thread anymore because somewhere else you said observe on background thread. So there is a learning curve and it is quite steep one, but it's also a big framework. It's kind of a known language if you think about it. Yeah, it's a big framework. So it's a, it's a powerful thing because at the time, that was the only thing. So they had actually to put everything there. Yeah. I mean, that's how you were supposed to do things. It was like five years ago. It was Java 6. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. In, in addition to the learning curve, you've also got a lot of gotchas. Um, and moving to RX2, where you've got completables, maybes, and singles. And so you're flat mapping an observable into a stream of completables, and then turns out your stream won't actually ever complete. It'll just be on next. And you're thinking, why is it not completing? Why is my business logic doing this? It's, unless you're actually really familiar with the un, uh, with workings of how it's actually going on. And you often find yourself looking into the operators and the, the, the source code yourself just to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, so from now on, I'm going to open it up to the floor as well. If anyone has any questions about Rx they want to put to the panel, just raise your hand. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you and we'll, we'll, we'll take your question and then we'll just like keep it going like that, okay? Um, okay, so let's like explore more about then when not to Rx. Like, like, we, like, have there, like can you think of any particular instances where you have yourself chosen in a professional role not to use Rx? Sure. Yeah? 90% of the apps. 90% of the Well, apps. who's doing reactive, crazy stuff in your app? <laughs> I mean, 90% of, of the apps are fetching stuff from a database or fetching stuff from a backend. How many of you are using single? You don't need Rx Java. Um, it's, it's, it's a bit harsh. You're using single just because you have to put the thing in some other observable sequence and you're, how many too observable or as observable are you using in your, in your code base? Huh? 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 Come on. That's it. That's it. I mean, the whole completable and single thing came up before, because, well, we did the threading. But the, the thing is, if you just need to fetch stuff from a backend, well, just use a coroutine. I mean, you can also use the, the standard call from a retrofit. I mean, it will be a bit ugly to see and whatever. Just throw it away but very, it very... Huh? It works. Well, it works very well. Actually, it was the, the only way that me and my colleague um, were doing things for the, with the coroutines because, you know, I wanted to elevate the errors to, um, like... First class citizen, whatever. So you know, just so we were using the call, and then we were creating a suspendable function from that. So no need to to do fancy stuff. I mean, just just call the backend, get the result, well, pass the result. Here, here's a, a question. I'm gonna just jump off. Can you say your name as well? 
Hi, my name is Parth, and I might be biased because I'm giving a talk about RX uh, on, on Wednesday. Sorry. <laughs> right, well, story of my life. <laughs> a lot of y'all were saying that, you know, unless you're doing a reactive, you know, unless you have, quote, crazy reactive stuff going on in your app, there's no need to use RX Java. If you're not using observable and flowable, you know, what, what, what are you doing with your life? Um, and I, I don't know, that, that doesn't, yes, completable and single and maybe are glorified callbacks, but that's part of the beauty of it. The fact that you can compose this logic in a way that is easy to read, you can understand the flow, and you have the option of moving and composing this logic with things that are reactive. Maybe if you use PubNub or you use some other PubSub model where, you're, where, you're, where data is coming in streams, being able to link all of this together along with user, with user input that's a powerful tool. And I think to complain that, yeah, if you don't know it very well, you could hurt yourself. Yeah, true. That's the same with Android. Like, how many of us have gone and looked in the platform source because we can't figure out what the hell Handler is doing? Right? Like, this is, this is, this is part of our jobs. So I, where, where's the dividing line for you if it's just like, oh, look, we're not using Observable. Let's not use RxJava. Is, is, that, is that the main point from you guys to not use RxJava because it's not quote-unquote reactive. There's so much more to RxJava than just having a push-pull model. Uh, actually, I had, a I had a situation in work the other day where I was pairing with one of my colleagues, and we had a simple client that needed to um, fetch an advertising ID uh, if it was present, and then change that and activate the advertisements for that user. Um, and Sinan is there. It was him I was pairing with. That was... Yeah, um, and we found we ended up with this massive observable chain where we had uh, maybe from uh, from callable where, because it might have been null, uh, and then to uh, flat map completable because we wanted to make a network call, and then we had to then filter that because it might be uh, there might not be the notification we needed there, and uh, we saw this massive chain of conversions and to observable to maybe observable flat map, and thought this is not readable. This is this doesn't make any sense. So as a side project, I just took this and then tried to achieve the same thing in Kotlin and with coroutines. And the overall result was it was about five lines longer because we didn't have the same operators. But the result was that it was a lot more readable and it was much clearer what the actual logic was going on um, rather than everything being contained within single operators. Because you'd have filter um, and then mapping, because it was a maybe which I wanted to get a Boolean from, and then you filter that, and then you get a map to true, and then and then if a switch if empty to false, and it was all just a bit confusing. Also regarding that, um, if you have a lot of operators, like I said, it's not readable. The point I started two weeks ago was coroutines on my new project on the greenfield in the company, and the point was also it was easier to understand which call itself was really asynchronous. Because not everything has to be asynchronous, but because you're thinking of streams, everything has to be asynchronous. That doesn't make sense. Also, a lot of people using Rx just, I think, two schedulers, the main and I.O. or uh, uh, the computation. Um, my, my question for the audience, if you have a database call with SQLite, which one is the best one to use? I think most would use I.O. Is that single-threaded? Do you know that? 
So then you have again the problem that you don't understand the model behind it. You just know how to use a tool, but doesn't understand what the tool itself does at that point. And you always, I wouldn't say it's like that, you have a problem at that point that you bring yourself more complex in the system. Of course, nowadays a lot of people knows Rx, but not to that extent to solve every problem at that point. Also, you have to think about, yes, there are a lot of nice tools in Rx, and it's really tempting to use all of them. The thing you have to decide is, if it's, is it worth bringing in such a big framework, it's a big heavyweight framework, it will mess up all your stack traces, it's, it's impossible to look into a crash stack trace collecting call and find out what the heck's going on. If you're, if you're lucky, one of your custom operators shows up. If you're unlucky, it's observable, 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 RX, and then the stack trace cuts and you can guess what's happening. So it's really, if you use enough that you can justify bringing in 5,000 uh, methods and the whole RX framework, then feel free to do it. I, I'm happy to do it. I, I love using RX. I don't, just don't know if it was a new app I would start with RX, to be honest. If you can get the same results using platform tools or using Kotlin tools, using coroutines, using the collections transformations, then you should probably not bring in a big heavy framework. We have a language that we didn't have back in the days. That's it. I mean, that's the, the whole idea of having now coroutines. Okay, well, most of my new projects, they don't have Rx Java because most of my new projects, well, I'm just fetching stuff from somewhere. I'm showing a list. I mean, 90% of the time, I'm showing a list. And at some point, someone, a repository, will give me a list. I don't need to know how. And now I have Kotlin, so I can filter the list, map the list, whatever the list. But again, the, so, the so we, sequence is not there anymore. So, so we do have like alter an alternative to me running. If you want, if you want to put your hand up, I'll run to you. Uh, and, but if you if you want, you can also just like have a conversation via one of these mics at either side of the stage. Um, see. Hey, is it working? Yeah, cool. So, like uh, regarding that kind of lists and the and UIs mostly lists. What do you do if you want to react to some? Um, data changes or like to keep it active. Like what happens usually is that, you know, you go to the, you go to the one screen and favorite, favorite an, an item and then you go back, it's not shown as, as favorite or, or you, you go do that and then network, like maybe you do the network operation in the background because it's not so important, but then network operation fail and then you still show that it's, it's, it's favorite. Like these kind of classic problems that it's really these hard, are hard reactive to solve. Scenarios. I feel these like it's really, really easy to like uh, model with Rx because you have a cons like source of truth where you have your data. If you model that as, as reactive, and then you when you have that pipeline, you always get the uh, the, the correct result, right? Absolutely, Which is yes. where like in other uh, systems, it's absolutely kinda, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. You have a reactive UI. Clicky, clicky, mm -hmm. receiving stuff, and you have the business logic that is actually pushing you stuff. That's a perfect, that's the reactive scenario mm -hmm. that you need to actually okay. leverage Rx Java. But Even like, if you have channels and like coroutines and stuff, I mean, the JetBrains is catching up. But, um, but in, in my experience, I, I never want to display a list and that's it. You know? Well, like uh, you. Al, 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 almost <laughs> never. Huh? 
Lucky you. Really? Uh. Yeah. Cool. I yeah. Yeah, I hate when when the uh the screen that I show to the user is stale basically. Uh right. I think you can still use a reactive architecture without Rx, for example. Rx is just a tool set. Reactive programming is uh, a whole idea. Um, yeah. So we have a lot of, of other course. tools available to us. We can we can use live data. We can use the uh, um, there's the uh, Google uh, mobile services tasks framework. Mm -hmm. um, very simple and lightweight, but it does actually allow the concept of uh, sequence promises. Yeah. Yeah. But, so so that that's interesting. You can like actually from not uh, programmatically, but like when you're doing planning, uh, you're, you're planning your sprints. You could think like reactive scenarios. Like, is this a reactive scenario? Proactively, like pull out reactive scenarios, and then maybe in in your case, like all your lists and all your apps are missionary style, always missionary. Whereas your lists are like your lists are sexy. They're, they're they're all over the place. Yeah. So then, but then you could say this is a reactive scenario. You would say this is not. The 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 takeaway probably for from me will be you have to pick the tool. I mean that's what we do. You are an engineer. You have to pick the right tool. It's not that you can use one tool for everything just because you are able to bend it, you know, enough yeah. to fit your your scenario. So and it, it simplifies the the code base. Okay. Thank you. Can we take another question? Technically, I thought of about three questions. I don't know if I should reduce them or not. Let, let's have one. One. Map reduce the stream of questions, please. Okay, map oh, reduce. Um, which one should I go with them? Uh, would you recommend, if you, if you actually don't need Rx, because you're just fetching a list or a filtered list from a database, because you have room now, you can define the query, and uh, would you recommend live data to uh, fetch the uh, the list and the future updates to the list uh, asynchronously, or would you use coroutines for that instead? I probably will go for the database plus live data. I will stick to the the simplest thing. I mean, there's documentation from Google. If you don't have crazy stuff, keep it simple. So yeah, room database, reactive whatever, live data. Data binding, then he's a big fan. And you can do it with normal tools. You don't need Rx Java. You don't need to stuff in <laughs> Rx Java and keep it simple. And you can now actually probably onboard people in a <laughs> faster way. Like also regarding that, I would say if you're a library developer or you create an SDK, don't force your user to any architecture. That's the worst thing you can do because I have now an application without Rx. And I want to use the library because itself the library is nice. But then they say, well, you got Rx and you have to use it. I think that's also way wrong at that point, I would say, because as a library engine, we should just concentrate on one small thing and make that good and give the opportunity to the engines to use whatever framework or tools they're using. That's why at that point, personally, I really love Retrofit, how, how they do it with their adapters and with their um, factories, uh, the call factories, so you as an engineer can define the architecture which you want to use and not forced to use by the library. Okay, stay there, but let's have a question from, from, from the other side and then okay. you, we, we can hear your other question. Oh, okay? Okay, okay, thanks. Okay. Thank you. So you say, okay, just use Eric's Java if you uh, do crazy stuff, but um, 
let's say we are keeping it simple. We want to get uh, some data from a database, and uh, that's it. But uh, we are Android developers, and we face some problems like uh, screen orientation, what we are doing now. So let's say we are using a few model, and the few model needs to send this data back, which he has stored. And the best way to do this is, of course, using the observable, observable pattern, which we can, uh, which let, which is uh, Eric's Java. So we can just send this non-stream data. We can convert it to a stream, and at the end, every time we are, let's say, rotating our uh, screen, we have now a, a data stream. So the data which come back from the uh, originally from the database is now a data. Uh, a data stream because we uh, always orientated our screen. Well, at that point, especially at that point, I would say, at least from my knowledge base, you don't need it at all. Live data view model, you don't need an observable because the live data itself is an observable already. And yeah, the I mean, view model I... survives orientation change and therefore you don't need an observable at all. So why making that more complex and more complicated, especially if you think you are a beginner at one point. Everyone who comes to your company have to learn anything. So don't make it more complex than needed at that point. Of course you can do it. It's depending on the team, like I earlier I said already. But the point is, don't make it too complex to start with something. Especially at that point, you don't need it at all. At least in my opinion. But how do you communicate then, for example, with the activity? So then you have, let's say, let's say two callbacks, one from the database and one the stored data. That's just useless. Um, Lifecycle aware components. So uh, if you're obviously consuming something from your view model, which would then uh, survive orientation change, you want to be very careful with how you handle uh, subscription there. So there was be, it wouldn't make sense to use Rx in this context. You would want to use uh, live data and observe uh, with the lifecycle owner. Okay. It's still an observable pattern. It's still reactive programming, but it just don't yeah, have to use For that. example, there are libraries, I think, Eric's Lifecycle, which exactly um, solves this problem. It solves can, a, Sorry. Sorry, yeah, continue. You can dig into it and, uh, yeah. I, I, I kind of feel with um, Rx Lifecycle, it solves a problem that isn't or shouldn't have been a problem. Um, because... Like we have these things available to us now uh, with lifecycle owners and, and being able to subscribe to these things and uh, use data binding. And in a lot of cases, we don't actually need to communicate with the view model between the activity. Sometimes we do, but actually you can achieve it without it. Okay. Going to go back to this side of the stage. Thank you. Okay. Thank I you. had uh, one question in mind when you said that uh, you saw these... Uh, this huge stack of operators and it was literally unreadable. And what I was wondering is, is it possible to use Compose Observable Transformer to name some of these operators as something that the, is... The, there's an opinion here. Yes. So, <laughs> this, is, this, is, but this is the last time that I'm going to say it, okay, For, forever, okay. I'll ask you, I, I wrote two books on this thing. I'm using Rx Java since before it was public because we were using an internal version, okay, in-house. I have never created a custom operator in my life. There is so much stuff already there that you don't need anything. You don't need to build anything. This is one of the pitfalls, you know? Because at some point you want to build stuff with Rx Java, you know, transformers, all the things, compose all the things. 
this is a sign that you should stop. You know, that, that, that's an addiction. That's an addiction because the tool is so powerful that you can build everything with it. You can build whatever, you, you can put everything in the stream. You can put, you can create one single stream to rule them all. Seriously, you can, you can put so many operators in there that you can probably, probably asymptotically approach singularity at some point, you know? <laughs> the, your observable knows everything because there you have so many cases. It's not, no. You are working with people. You're, you need to keep it simple. The moment you want to, ah, oh, let's put this another, it's already late. The thing is too complex. We are doing lists from backends. Come on. We, we send a man on the moon with an Arduino. And now we have this kind of stuff in our pockets. It was out of end. Okay. It's as simple as that. It went out of end. Keep it simple because it's unmaintainable and you have to train people as if you need it. Can I ask, is your, um, do you work by yourself or do you work with the team? <laughs> I work with a development team of two other people. They also know RX, but we don't use observable transformers. I watched a video by Jake Wharton on managing, RX Java, uh, managing state with RX Java quite often, and I'm always confused about the merge and publish for some reason. I don't know what Publish does. <laughs> <laughs> that's no the does. thing. The thing is hard. You know, most of the time you do that. That's Jack Wharton, okay? That's Jack Wharton. Jack Wharton is Jack Wharton. So you can't actually. But most of the time, we don't need it. You don't need it. We, we deal with way easier scenarios. And if you actually put some design up front with your team, like a whiteboard, instead of balancing binary trees, you actually design something meaningful, you, most of the time you don't need it. You can't come out with a solution that is easier to implement, easier to maintain, and probably easier also to, to document and pass over when you leave, because you're going to leave no matter what. And you will be the previous developer that used Rx Java in that crazy way, and now we are going to rewrite everything from scratch with coroutines because, well, you don't need Rx Java for this stuff. Been there, done that. But everyone gets to be that guy. Well, everyone. I was the previous developer of so many people, and they hate me probably because at the time it was like the right choice. Well, that, that, I mean, that's your, Always that's your right. You've just left the company, yeah, right? Just <laughs> leave the country. Could I add? Um, so at the beginning of that, I said yes because... There have been times when I've actually created my own observable transformer because it was like a unit. I thought of it as a uh, testable unit, and then it quickly grew to be a horrible behemoth. And then I stepped back and I looked at it and I thought, "What have I done?" <laughs> it's like Audrey too in the Little so, Shop of Horrors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think um, all of these things that we're saying are more um, rather than being no, you shouldn't do this. It's like we've done these and we've made these mistakes. It's it's from learning. <laughs> Uh, I kind of want to throw in one last question. Okay, to see, do you have another question? Okay, go ahead, no please, one. go ahead. Okay, uh, which is that uh, there's a new library in Kotlin called Arrow, and Arrow claims that it can wrap both uh, coroutines and Rx Java, and I was just wondering what you guys think about it. So, um, Arrow is a great project. Uh, they at the moment play uh, a game that it's a bit out of most of our leagues. 
I'm serious with this. I mean, I'm the first one. I mean, the, the, the Paco and the guys, they, they just, I, I just watch their talks and like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They are solving a lot of issues that um, they're very, very complex in very different contexts. So, yeah, they can wrap everything. You can create, like, um, your domain logic that is completely agnostic from the who's doing the heavy lifting. So you have coroutines or Rx Java. Everything is in the name of replaceability, let's say. Um, I use the library because there are a few things like, you know, either or that kind of stuff. I don't go crazy because... I don't need it. Again, it's a tool. It's Any, a tool. Anyone got experience with Arrow? Arrow? Arrow, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, <coughs> not yet. I'd like to, though. Okay. Um, okay. And so, like, that leads quite nicely on to like asking about like just preferred libraries. Like, we've, a few libraries have just popped up in conversation. Could Could you tell me of any libraries that that you have a preference for? Um, I guess still pretty fresh, but I've started playing around more with coroutines, and I think the thing about Kotlin that I really enjoyed so much is that it just sort of refreshed my enjoyment for programming. Um, I sort of felt that we've reached a plateau with Java, and it's not fun, as, or as much fun as it was. And then with Kotlin, it's like, this is so much fun. This is really enjoy. <laughs> it's a joy. Uh, and then I started playing around with coroutines, trying to solve uh, similar problems uh, with RxJava, and I realized that a lot of these things that we were trying to use RxJava for didn't need to have these things. And I could solve it with coroutines, and I did have the same joy with coroutines. So at the moment, um, yeah, coroutines are fun. Actually, I'm not sure if the learning curve in coroutines is way less steep than for RxJava, if you think only about uh, concurrency. I think that's the same, more or less, regarding, at least regarding concurrency. But the point is you don't have any transformers and all this stuff, or operators that you just go crazy at one point. Because it's really just focusing on one part, coroutine, it's the threading which you have to take care of. Rx does everything else, or everything. So also the point is I have, if I use a library, I just want the library to just focus on one small part. And at that point, Rx disqualifies already. Back to the library um, question. Definitely Rx bindings. If you're using UI and you want to the bounce a button and that kind of stuff, pretty useful. Um, Rx Kotlin just for some sugary kind of thing. Um, and then yeah, I mean JetBrains. Now that um, we have been migrating the code base to coroutines. But everything was Rx, especially the network layer. Um, JetBrains, they don't sleep, so they wrote wrapper for everything. The Streams library. Yeah, there they, they are a lot of useful small coroutine packages that they allow you to basically convert uh, an observable sequence or a single or whatever in a coroutine, just, with the, just bring in the library and then it, that's it. Um, so that also helps with the migration because it can be done incrementally um, if your team actually decided to migrate away and or to relegate Rx in a very specific part of your of your domain and and that probably it's the the thing that I that I suggest that kind of approach you know 
Okay. On that library, it's, uh, the actual implementation for how they wrap it and how they convert things to RxJava is really simple and concise. I think it's actually really well done. So we're going to have to finish off, but just to finish off, um, could you maybe tell us about like any future hopes for for RxJava? Like, what, what's missing? If, if everything's in there already, what's what? missing? What's missing? Maybe modularity. No, actually, uh, well, there was a, there was a plan to to create pack, yeah, packages like smaller packages. But if you're using ProGuard, if you're brave enough to use ProGuard, uh, strips away a lot of stuff. What probably is missing uh, in Rx Java is on our side. It's a mindful use of Rx Java because now we don't need to use it for everything because so we have just tools. education and reactivity. It's it's you know a more uh, as lower pace when you think about problems and how to solve them. So now we have better tools. JetBrains is great. Uh, the the RX guys are the RX people are great. Keep working on the thing, but now we can leverage other tools. So if you identifying reactive scenarios, yes, yes, uh, it's a mindful usage. Let's say. Actually, I would love if they split the library into components which says this is just your stream handling, this is your asynchronous handling, and then who knows what else. So you can actually decide to pull in some small library which solves your problem. That would be great. Then I would love if they find a way to preserve stack traces. So don't create billions of objects. I think the object creation overhead of Rx is tremendous. And don't create Rx3 because I don't want to migrate again. I think there won't be an RX3, I hope. That will definitely they have not happen. Actually, the tech most... in the repository already. <laughs> well, having a tech and doing something, I remember a retrofit 2. Dot whatever, or Glide 3 takes three or four years. So sometimes it's outdated before it comes out. But in the end, I don't say it should die or whatever. It depends on the team. I select it for my, or choose for myself. I don't want to have it if I don't have to. There are a lot of other things which I can use at that point, and that would be my opinion on that. Um, actually, I think one of the things I was disappointed about when uh, migrating from uh, RX1 to 2 was the actual inclusion of Observable, um, because the, one of the primary reasons I thought about RX2 being there was because of back pressure and because of all these mistakes that were made. And so the, this is why we were introduced to Flowable and maybe in Single and all these different subscribers, which actually followed the spec of the, uh, I think it was a JSR spec that already existed, uh, the publisher interface. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed that Observable was actually included. So maybe if we had Java 3, it I'm didn't have to, it. I'm going to have to cut you off because we're going to have to I could end. talk all day. Please Sorry. do. <laughs> OK, <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope you'll join me in thanking our panel. And uh, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you.